Hello and welcome to a special episode of Women of Balls, where I, Katie Balls, talk to today's trailblazers. Today's panel is sponsored by Lloyd's Banking Group. The cost of living is rising, as is the cost of renting. Zoopla estimates that rents are rising at the fastest rate in 14 years, which means that the average rent in the UK is now over £1,000 a month. This is partly a pandemic effect, especially in London as people return to offices, but COVID has also shaken people's financial securities. The Citizens Advice Bureau found that more than one in three renters felt insecure about their inability to stay in their tenancy during the pandemic, and women were disproportionately impacted during the pandemic. Mothers were more likely to be put on furlough or even lose their jobs. Rising prices is not the only problem with the UK's private rentals market. Slow or unethical landlords, unsafe properties or short-term tenancies are all problems faced by renters. What more can be done for the almost 5 million private renters in the UK? To discuss, I'm joined by Nikki Aitken, the Conservative MP for Cities of London and Westminster, Karen Buck, the Labour MP for Westminster North, who is also the Vice Chair for the All-Party Parliamentary Group on the Private Rental Sector, and Esther Dexter, Managing Director of Intermediaries at Lloyds Banking Group, who are kindly sponsoring this podcast. To begin, Esther, I wonder if you could just lay out for listeners the challenges in 2022 for UK renters. I think for everybody, it's been a real challenge in terms of the rise in rent, as you already mentioned in your introduction. And what we've established with research in 2021, you pay on average £1,400 more per annum if you're renting than if you had bought a home. So that's a real challenge. That's about £115 per month. Nikki, how do you think the uh, the market or I suppose the situation for renters has changed over the past decade? I th- certainly think that short-term letting like Airbnb and that type of platforms have had a serious effect on the rental market. Landlords are choosing to rent out their homes on a nightly basis rather than on a longer term because they get more money out of it they get more bang for their buck yeah, there are reports there are 13,000 airbnbs in your constituency alone you know? yeah we're in westminster so i'll share that with karen uh, and that has a massive massive effect and knock-on effect for supply and it's we're not just seeing it in central london we're seeing it across the country we're seeing it in the southwest we're seeing it in cumbria and the tourist areas and that has you know a huge effect for schools and public services because our teachers, our nurses, etc., can't afford to live locally. So, you know, it, it's not just about the cost of, of rent, which is huge, but it's also about the supply. Karen, do you think renters are losing out compared to homeowners? I mean, there's been a survey saying 61% of private renters believe they will end up becoming a homeowner. But as Nikki just touched on, ultimately seeing a situation where renters are already spending two-fifths of their income on rents compared to homeowners who spend half that on mortgages generally. Well, renters, I think, are getting the raw deal in terms of uh, housing tenure on affordability without a shadow of doubt. Renters in London, on average, pay nearly 60% of their income on their housing costs. Um, So much more uh, proportionally expensive than homeowners on average and social tenants on average. They also have the short straw in terms of housing quality with private rented sector properties much more likely to be substandard. And they have the short straw in terms of security. And and, uh, they are in in most cases on short short hold tenancies and they don't have any security now that's fine for some people but if you bring up a family for example if you're older you want to put down roots the sector is just simply not right so it's many people have a good experience with the private rented sector but lots of people don't and we need to fix it also can i just come in there 
really good point that Carrick makes about the private rental, rental sector. When I was a councillor, I was so shocked when we came across appalling conditions where people had been living in for years and they were too scared to highlight it and ask for help from the council or, or whoever oh. because they didn't want to lose their home and they thought if they complained they would be made homeless so you know we've got to ensure that landlords are held to account and make and, and ensure that the homes they provide are safe and you know pleasant places to live Oh, and I think to build on that point, I think women can be disproportionately affected by that because they quite often have the caring role. So if you have children and you live there and you go to a school, you probably have less choice to move away and therefore you could be exposed to that for a much longer uh, period of time. And Karen, on that, I just wondered, I think perhaps thinking about your constituency work, is it harder for a woman with children to, I suppose, access high quality rental properties is there a preference by landlords generally to go for you know childless professionals is that something that can exacerbate the problem well we know that there's a history of landlords rejecting people who they think might be or might have to turn to for example housing benefit or you know housing and universal credit uh, that's well established and uh, and a real problem yeah i mean landlords will obviously inevitably kind of tend towards choosing people that uh, that you know that they think will will be the the, the best bet. So again look, I think it's really really important to stress this that there there isn't a single private rented sector there are lots and in 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 a London for example Nikki and I we have a kind of prime sector you know where you know literally I mean tens of thousands a week people are paying for some of these properties you have a, a sort of ordinary sector where you know younger people students young workers arriving in london might rent and don't mind usually because most of us did it at some stage and then you've got this large pool of people who would rather buy or rather be in a social tenancy who want security and decency but are effectively priced out of the market and are left insecure and sometimes in absolutely shocking conditions and so when we talk about what we're going to do about managing the private rental sector i think it's really important that we break it and deal with the you know the, the fact that it's a very variegated uh, tenure on that Esther because it is very varied obviously we've got Karen and Nikki talking about their experiences of London and, and that market what is it like for the rest of the country? It's because the PRS sector private rent sector is now 20% of UK housing therefore it's across the country this problem is there and you see a variety of families types of families living in those properties and I think it's because historically it was a small sector, but with the decline of social housing, you saw the rise of the private rented sector. But now people are staying longer in the private rented sector because they struggle to get onto the housing ladder. And that's why you see a variety of types of families living in private renters. And I think that's sort of a point to make as well. It's not just affordability from an income perspective. So to get a mortgage to buy a house, because, but you also need to save for the deposit. And when you're paying higher rents, then having to save for a deposit is more challenging. And particularly if you're a woman, because we know we have the gender pay gap, they tend to pay more to its housing cost on average. So therefore, all those challenges become even more. Nikki, I suppose it's working out the various ways in which the offer to renters has to be improved and taking account the system is very different. But just touching once more on, I suppose, how it's different for women. I mean, the Women's Budget Group found there was no region in England where housing is affordable to women on their average income. But it also found the majority of homeless people are women. So 
Do you think that one of the key things here when we're looking at rental market is security for renters, uh, as well as the higher standard when uh, or guarantees of a higher standard? Yeah, and I think that's why it's really important that when the government brings out its white paper, hopefully in the next few months, fingers crossed, um, bated breath, um, that it also looks at the Section 21 in the Housing Act, which we've got to deal with because we, we, we've got to ensure that tenants have that security. At the same time, it's a balance that landlords should be able to evict problem tenants, but not just because they think they can get higher rent or they want to go down the short-term letting path. And and so, obviously, we've got to have a proper look, and as Karen said, the different tenures, and looking at the different types of renters who want to rent at a certain time in their lives. This is this subject is very close to my heart because my mum is now a renter and I know that she's living from year to year and she loves where she lives and she wants to see her years out there. But under the current law, she is she has to wait every year to, to renew her lease. And it's really, really difficult for someone in their late 70s, early 80s. So goodness knows what it's like for somebody, you know, with, with, with children. I think we often don't, you know, we don't see the human side of this. And I think it's absolutely right. I mean, as, as MPs, we see this all of the time. So, you know, I will get, I mean, literally, I will get several times a week, I will get a, a family who will come to me. It might be somebody, often, often parents with children in local schools, who've been told that they've got to move. Private landlord, or in some cases private property rented by the council for homeless families and they're moved you know middle of the school year I had to deal with one last week a severely autistic young man who was being told that he had to move with a week's notice uh, in the middle of his school year now you know these these are these are really these are really cruel decisions for people you've got all over London now definitely London possibly in other places as well you've got parents commuting their children an hour and a half two hours in the morning and again at night because even though they've been forced to move from Kilburn to Enfield they don't want to disrupt their kids education so they will carry on trying to keep them in school and it is it is heartbreaking and the schools will tell you the impact that's having on people it's a, it's really damaging Nikki is part of the problem here that we have a situation where renting is almost viewed almost as not the option that you should aspire to that actually home ownership should be that and therefore if, for example, if you go to a country like Germany, it's pretty normal to be in a situation where you rent for long periods of time. Whereas here, it's not really seen as the as the desirable option. It's almost if you're renting, it's because you can't buy. Yeah. And that creates a bit of a stigma. And I think, yeah, I think there's elements of that. I think we've always been a nation of, you know, an Englishman's home is his castle. And that's, we've seen that through policy with um, Thatcher's right to buy. And that that's took a huge amount of social housing out of uh, the system. But I still believe that people want to own their own home and they should be able to. But at the moment, the average cost of a home in my, well, in Westminster, in my constituency, is £960,000. That is ridiculous. So again, it goes back to supply and demand. And we do need to have that situation where young people can get a, a step on the ladder that means different tenures. It means shared ownership, the affordable homes, affordable rents, to give people the chance to have a decent home where they want to live, but also the ability then to save, to invest. 
And I, I agree with the aspiration to, to buy your own home, and that's good, But because also when you look in retirement, you know, Scottish Widows has calculated about 40% of your income in retirement would go on rent. So that's why owning your home is, is a good plan for retirement as well. And of course, again, women are disproportionately affected by that because they quite often don't have the pension income that, that uh, males would have. Somewhat ironically, by the way, talking right to buy, nearly a half of the properties, certainly in my constituency, of properties bought under right to buy are now privately rented. They've been they've been rented out. And you'll walk down two flats, two houses next to each other, uh, one of which is a council house or council flat, where the rent will be £150, £160 a week. Next door, it'll be private rented and it'll be £400 a week. And in some cases, it's the state that's picking up the cost. And I think one of the things we haven't yet touched upon is the fact that this is not just an individual issue, it's an issue of massive concern for public policy. Because with an ageing population and an ageing renting population, we are going to be facing, not that far down the line, a bill for housing, sporting housing costs for older private renters that will reach £60 billion. That's, uh, that's the calculation, which is you know up from £34 billion now. So we have really got a financial challenge coming at us, as well as all of the concerns about se- uh, security and, and quality of accommodation. And that's why I think the government has really put building more homes the real, it's, it's a real priority for them. But they have got to be the right kind of homes. Right, 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 right type of homes in the right places. And again, it's a huge balance that we don't... If, if we're going to have the right homes in the right places, then there's going to have to be some negotiations and local communities understanding if they want their children and, they, and their grandchildren to remain close to them they may have to allow some developments in their areas. Yeah, but if they look down yeah. the road from where we are, uh, Nikki, I mean, you know, this is, let's have a moment of, of consensus shattered. If you look down uh, the road at the, at the properties that are, that are getting developed, if, they, if they're costing a million, a million and a half, two million, two and a half million pounds, then people who are living locally will look at that and say, it means nothing to me. What, what, that's, that's not going to house my kids. That's not going to give us any opportunity whatsoever. It's just unwelcome um, extra development. And in and, and many cases, those properties just go into the private rentals. And that's why it has to be the right homes in the right places. And that's why, you know, I started the largest council home building programme for generation in Westminster. And we're just about to finish 2,000 affordable homes for young people to stay in central London. We are, we are speaking and we're recording ahead of the Queen's speech where we are expecting it to be confirmed that the government is massively diluting its planning reform. It was supposed to be, you know, the most radical. And actually, it turns out there are a lot of MPs who are worried about their constituent backlash to that. So I think it's safe to say that given a majority of 80, one in 2019 can't get us this mass housing house building program, it's going to be quite slow progress. You look at research in the Resolution Foundation on the fact, you know, a large chunk of millennials are probably going to be renting when, that, when their pension is. And therefore, even if you do get to the point where we can buy homes, we've got, a, as Karen points out, a growing issue where there are going to be more and more renters aged renters and they're going to be more protections so on that I wondered Karen looking at the decent home standard do landlords know what their responsibilities are because one thing here I think would be 
for trying to improve the offer to tenants is landlord responsibilities. It's a it's a triple package that you have to provide of security, of affordability and decency. And we know that the private rented sector has by far the highest proportion of properties that are likely to be substandard. Um, that either means uh, including a hazard, at least one hazard. And again, as MPs, we will see this all the time. We'll see damp and mould. We'll see staircases without banisters. We'll see all kinds of, you know, bare wires, all kind of uh, dangerous or just simply properties that are not decent which is that their kitchens bathrooms heating systems are not uh, are not up to a, a contemporary standard we have a private rented market in this country that is very different to most of the continental systems a lot of individual landlords as i say many of them good responsible people who care about their tenants but with a large subsection who don't and whether that's pure ignorance whether it's people just squeezing their pennies and not being prepared to invest in their properties or just being rogues that is the problem and we don't really know who they are because we don't have a national registration system for landlords and i think one of the things that we absolutely have to do is make sure we know more about the sector we know who is renting including the short lets that nikki's referred to which is a massive problem in many parts of the country we have to know who's renting and then we are in a better position to be able to to, to enforce against those people who are uh, letting set standard properties but we've also got to ensure that tenants know their rights and they know the pathway to highlight and go for help when they think there's an issue with their as property as they don't get evicted and, 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 and yeah of course to make sure they don't get evicted there's got to be that safe that safe pathway so that they don't have to live in such appalling conditions. But, well, you, know, the, 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 you know, the truth of the matter is that, that for many, particularly lower-income households, particularly vulnerable people in the private-rented sector, older people, you know, younger students, um, relying on their individual capacity to enforce their rights is a really tough call. And so we, we rely on, on, on having a combination of local government and the work of environmental health. In Westminster, very, very good. Very good, uh, yeah. Pushing against the tide in, in terms of the demand, but, but very good. But environmental health, where the, the delivery is incredibly patchy across the country, and having lawyers and advice organisations that can support people, because most people cannot do it themselves for whatever reason. I think reason. there is a great opportunity for lenders as well in the financial services industry to support there, because if we get access as lenders to the database, the National Landlord Registry, if it's there, the Rogue Landlords database, then it's easy for lenders to either stop finance to those people so that they can no longer finance properties or you could even incentivize good landlords, you can support them with funding to improve properties and you can also take that opportunity to educate both landlords as well as renters because they're quite often part of the banking system as well so there is but we're a long way from that at the moment is 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 yeah. the truth yeah. uh, we, you know, we, we don't have that information as a lender and the short lead sector that. is really interesting in this because it's exploded particularly in london since 2015 when the government chose to deregulate to allow it to happen we don't know who's letting out their short let properties and we do know that a decent proportion of them are in breach of the rules they're don't probably in that, breach of their yeah, insurance exactly. obligations. They're yeah. probably in breach of their leases. They're in breach of their finance agreements with, with their with their lenders. But there's nothing we can do about well, it. Well, that's why we want a registration scheme. So we that's do. what we're campaigning and for. And we've asked for seven years. Um, Esther, it's interesting what you're just saying there about the role industry can play because we're talking about what government can do, what renters themselves can do. But just touching on that National Landlords Registry, do, do you get the sense that the government is in listening mode when it comes to working with industry? Uh, so you can play a role in this or or actually is, is, is it not yet at that point? It's at consultation stage so it would be great to see it materialise that we can actually have access to that there is 
a national landlord register and that we the lenders can access to it and that it's easily done so that it's also manageable and not just on a local level. So in in this scenario, if if we jump through a few steps, which may take several years if we go on the, the, the current timeline you could have a scenario where a bank would effectively what say say no to remortgaging a rental property if they knew that they had been below standards or had you know evicted them for no fault reason and, and and things like that exactly you could but you could even think further you could say to get access to funding you need to do this education or you need to have passed certain criteria etc there there's Lots of opportunities there to either incentivize landlords as well, because we talked a little bit about the environmental uh, agenda, or landlords need to get an energy performance certificate C. That's uh, a lot of technical language by, by 2025, so to get up to a certain standard. Why that's relevant as well, because of course, if you have a house that's greener, double glazing, loft insulation, etc., it also tends to be better quality to live in. So, and you can control that uh, a lot more as well and support the funding. That would be a game changer, I think, if, if the industry, and if it's industry-led. Yes, obviously gov- government can support with policy, but I think that the banking sector, the mortgage sector, would really put what you've just put, or you've, what you've just said in place. I think that could be a massive game changer for landlords and for renters. Karen, do you agree with that, that landlord's registry, um, which uh, the bank could have access to, would make a big difference? Well, I certainly think that there is a role for lenders, as there is a role for, uh, for government and you know, responsibility um, on, uh, on individual landlords. It's such a massive issue. The private rental sector has doubled in the last uh, couple of decades. And it's not going to be something where we can resolve the genuine problems that we face just by one, but you know, by action on one front. There's no silver bullet. It's about supply and demand. It's about regulating that supply, and providing different tenures for different yeah. demographics and enforcement, which we've touched upon, yeah. um, which is government-led. They're not at a local level. They're not not in, entirely in the hands of government. But you can do what you like. I think in terms of rules and even in terms of laws. But if you don't have the mechanism to enforce, then the rogues are going to get away with it because the money is there to be made, whether it's in the short let sector where people are coining it compared to letting a traditional residential let or just in exempt accommodation, you know, all these different ways in which people can, can make a fortune. That's um, the issue, isn't it, with short-term lets? In central in London, we have the 90-night rule that you shouldn't rent out your home after 90 nights, where people do, and they are coining it in, as you say. Massively. And there's no enforcement, and that's what makes it so frustrating for local people and for councils. They can't enforce. a totally deregulatory approach just doesn't... It doesn't work. I mean, we don't want it to be punitively heavy, bureaucratic. Of course we don't, but... It has to be balanced because I think having a sector that does function well is really important because you do need and social housing and the private rented sector and home ownership, all three sectors to work and to be transparent and for landlords to still be part of that. But yeah, to make uh, sure yeah, that you a, get the right people in it. There's um, an important point to make that landlords, in the vast majority of them, will be have invested in these properties for their pensions and for their care costs eventually. So, you know, it's not about just saying all landlords are bad, because they're not. The vast majority of them are very, very good landlords, very caring landlords, and are doing it for the right reasons. But for those rogue 
minority, we need to be able to have the enforcement. Well, it's a large powers. minority. I mean, look, I totally, I totally agree with you. Uh, we know from the satisfaction ratings that a lot of people find that in any given year are content with their property and the relationship with their, their landlords. But it's not just a kind of tiny sliver of rogues. I mean, it's a substantial minority where, you know, where one way or another, whether it's in terms of substandard accommodation, illegal evictions, you know, ludicrous kind of rent, it's a substantial minority that we've got to try and manage. And I think you've said it before, it's not just one side. You have to kind of segment them because there are also people who are not rogue, but probably ignorant yep. and could do yep. with some support and education to make them really good landlords and fantastic landlords, which is what you would like. But I also think it's important to look at how can you get people from the private rented sector into the home ownership sector by supporting them in terms of as well as housing supply, but affordability, making sure the mortgage guarantee scheme first homes shared ownership so there are a number of things that can support people to make those steps into home ownership well but but also i mean let's not lose track of social housing and all of this because you know there is always going to be again a substantial minority of people who cannot realistically buy particularly in high value areas like london you know if you're much older and you can't get a mortgage or if you're simply on a you know on a, you're earning 15,000 18 20,000 a year where home ownership is is going to be out of reach we we let 100,000 fewer social lettings every year now than we did even 5 years ago but we need the, the systems in place where even people on low incomes can aspire if they want to and have the proper or the right affordable homes as long as it's not risky yeah, of course because we saw that you know. But Nikki, what what's your timeline on that? Because I have to say, <laughs> looking at the current direction of the government, the rhetoric's really been dialed down from when Boris Johnson won the majority of 80 on house building. And obviously it's the right homes in the right places we keep hearing, which I think lots of people just don't put anyone in, near my backyard. So, so in terms of quick options and things that are going to help renters now, to me it doesn't feel like this is something that's going to happen over the next few years. Um, look, I think the main issue for me at the moment for renters is to make it as secure and safe as possible so it is a pleasant experience and then give them the opportunities to buy if if they can afford it. But you're absolutely right. We do need to have the planning schemes in, in place and I was not a fan of the previous suggestions but there's got to be a workable solution and I think it's that honest conversation we've got to have with people if they want their children and their grandchildren to remain in their local areas then they will need to work with their councillors to secure the best as as we go as we keep going back to the right homes in the right places but they can't have it both ways they can't have their nothing changes and still not have the properties for their for their children um we mentioned the white paper earlier. What were you hoping to see that in current? See in, that in terms current? of the in terms yeah. of the, the renters' rights bill. Well, three years we've been promised this. We want to see it. It should see an end to Section Twenty One, which is the no fault eviction, which, as we know, is a major it's a major driver of homelessness amongst other things. In fact, the major single major cause. And we we want to see you know within that there'll need to be a kind of look at how do you then protect tenants' security against other means of achieving the same end, but but less honestly. So yes, of course, landlords need to have a right to regain their properties under certain circumstances. No one is questioning that. But we can't have a situation where no fault eviction goes, but then people are getting evicted because of arbitrary rent rises, 
or using what's called Section 8, the, the, the kind of basically fault-based evictions, much more, much more widely. So, and, and that will certainly mean that, you know, in terms of the kind of the rent rises, people can go to tribunal to challenge their rent rises, but I think there were only 341 cases last year. So it's clearly not a, it's not a functioning system at the moment to help tenants who uh, are faced with unreasonable rent rises. We need to be, that, that's going to have to be made to work. Esther Lloyds is looking to get into the private rentals market. Can you tell us about this Citra Living brand? Yes. As we've discussed previously, there is a shortage of housing anyway. To So to support buying more houses, we're in dialogue with various builders to say, if you plan to build a certain number of units, could you build X number more? And we will take that as Lloyds Banking Group under Citra Living and we'll become the landlord. So we guarantee the builder will take those extra units, but we're supporting building more units. And then we're the landlord. So, of course, we are a good landlord, I would hope. <laughs> and therefore, we can make sure that tenants have a good quality experience and good quality housing and address the supply side and as is well. That, how many, and what type of properties is that? Houses? Is it flats? Is it one bedroom, two bedrooms? It's a, we've just started the scheme, so there's a small number of properties now that we've started with and we're planning on. There's no you know, limitations on the types of properties. So, and it's nationally, so it depends on where it is across the country. Now... We're speaking during a cost of living crisis. There's currently quite a lot of pressure on the Chancellor for several reasons, but removing his own his own personal family's tax affairs. Ultimately, energy bills are expected to rise 14 times faster than wages, and those in rented accommodation, as estimated, will live in less energy efficient housing. So the rates will be particularly higher. They'll be particularly vulnerable to this. Just, I think, starting with Nikki, do you think the government should be doing anything specific for renters when it comes to? the the cost of living crisis? Well, I think they should be encouraging landlords to make their homes as energy efficient as possible so that the energy prices and energy costs can hopefully come down. It's tricky if the landlords aren't the ones paying the bills though, isn't it? But it's their homes. I I think you've got to look at the homes rather than the bills in this instance and ensure that they are energy efficient. I think councils should be incentivized to do the same. And we've had window refurbishment programs across Westminster over the years we've got the insulation we've got obviously the Chancellor mentioned and announced a solar panel energy offer in 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 the spring statement but I think we have to look at the building and we need to put the emphasis on the landlord rather than you know adding further costs to tenants. Do you you think landlords are going to act um, no, I don't, I don't realistically. I think again, but there can be the, tax incentives good, for them to good, do so. Good ones will, but but there needs to be a, a there needs certainly to be a, a, assistance and incentives uh, for private landlords uh, to to do that. It was a bit disappointing the energy bill didn't have a you know extra penny for energy efficiency. So you know I think we we do need we can't rely on the charitable instincts of the less good landlords. I think is is the truth, but. We also know that housing costs, as we, you know, we've discussed before, housing costs in the private rented sector are a much bigger share of income. And for those people who rely on government housing support, more than half of them, there is a shortfall between the rent that is charged and the amount of support they get. Hasn't risen with inflation, it was frozen again this year. Well, private tenants, lower income private tenants, are having some of the biggest struggles and they're not getting the help. And so I think that is, a, again, a kind of growing problem. And, and it doesn't disappear 
it ends up going into the homelessness system. And then perhaps we, so perhaps we need tax incentives for landlords, but also the banking sector, the mortgage sector, incentivising their customers to become more energy efficient. Yep, definitely. It's really important that landlords do improve their property because it's their investments. And like we've said, a lot of good landlords, we do see that behaviour and they want to refinance to improve their property. So there's definitely incentives there. But as we've said before... It's really useful to have that National Landlord Register so that it's easier for us to see where people aren't doing what they're supposed to doing and then incentivise them or enforce. Now we're coming to the end of this podcast. I have a final question for everyone. I think so far there's been some disagreements, but there tends to be there seems to be general agreement that a National Landlord's Registry would go some way to fixing some of the problems we're looking at. I want to ask everyone, every panel member, perhaps starting with Karen then we'll go round what advice would you give to current renters listening to this podcast who are having problems with their accommodation and aren't sure where to get help from excellent advice on the shelter webpage about rights also your local citizens advice bureau usually very very good get some advice on your rights and people people don't know them you have more rights than you think you do but They often do rely upon other people, such as, for example, the local authority, uh, environmental health department, if it's to do with standards, to assist you. Talk to your MP about it. I mean, people, you know, everybody needs to hear about the experiences that people are having so that when we do get to the Renters' Rights Bill, everybody in Parliament is well informed about some of the real struggles people are having. Nikki? Also, talk to your councillors. You have local councillors who represent you, who have got a direct line then to the housing officers to environmental officers who can then send staff around to inspect a home. And they're easily accessible through the council websites. There's phone numbers, there's emails, and any good councillor worth their salt should, and I hope will, support a resident who contacts them about a housing issue. Esther, you get the final word. To to build on all of that, I think an initial conversation depends, of course, a little bit what the situation is, but with the landlord themselves, because as we've said before, yes, there is a proportion of rogue landlord, but assuming it's not that far down to have a conversation, try and work to an agreement or a path out of whatever the situation is, is not a bad start either. And then if it's around financial difficulty, you can always talk to your your bank as well, because there will be a lot of support available for people. Thank you to Esther, Karen and Nikki. (laughs) 